Welcome to episode 49 of the On You and I podcast presented by the Gazette. I'm your host, Cole Bear, sports correspondent for the Gazette, joined as always during hoops season by Nick Pateros of the WCF Courier. Follow Nick on Twitter at Nick at Courier. You can follow me on Twitter at Real Cole Bear. Send along any message or comments you might have. Know that this podcast is available at thegazette.com, at wcfcourier.com. It's on SoundCloud, and it's on your podcast app on your Apple device. If you subscribe, it'll find you each time we have a new episode. And uh, if you haven't subscribed, please do so. Also, rate and review the podcast if you would, please. Okay, Nick, let's get right into it. Uh, you and I, men's basketball, coming off of a 84-64 win Wednesday night at McLeod Center in Cedar Falls. The Panthers moved to 24-5 and overall, 13-4 and in conference play. That conference record being the most important part, as with that win over the Purple Aces, you uh, and I does something that, that it hasn't done, despite the success over the past decade of the program, in winning at least a share of the Missouri Valley Conference's regular season title um certainly a a night of accomplishment at mcleod center last night for the panthers yeah you look at going 16 and 0 at home that's a tremendous accomplishment especially when you look at where they came from last season dropping a handful of home games uh in their house i know that was something aj green mentioned afterwards that you know they didn't feel like they played as well as they should have last year at home and and they've really taken care of business there this year i won a couple overtime games in the mcleod center and they've had a lot of really exciting games there where teams have made good runs at them and they had to elevate their level of play and and yet you, you saw that even a little bit uh last night i thought uh evansville was 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 running with them for about the first eight minutes of that game it was 19 all and then uh it was really you and i's bench players that helped provide some uh, separation i felt yeah and ben jacobson expanded on that topic the bench play of late of the past two weeks i think was the time frame that he referenced and we had some fun in the last podcast talking about rotations a little bit we saw Completely different rotations from one game to the next between uh, that Loyola game in Chicago that the Panthers lost in overtime and then the game that the Panthers lost at Indiana State last week. So um, it it was really interesting to hear Ben Jacobson talk about how um, there's a really good understanding in the locker room of one through nine and whether it's seven guys play in a night, eight or nine, that everybody's got a good understanding of their role and everybody's doing a good job staying ready. Yeah, and it seems like they've been bought in all, all season, but this last month in particular, he, f- he feels like he's getting a lot of good production out of these guys when they're coming out there and playing. Uh, you're, you're seeing Taiwan Pickford, I think, really start to assert himself during his minutes. Antoine Kemmins, he's just been a, a burst of energy all season, and, and he was that again last night. And then uh, kind of leads into uh, Noah Carter as well uh, in, in what you saw out of him there at the, at the small man five position. Yeah, that's uh, something that we've talked a little bit about because – Uh, The last time you and I played Evansville at Evansville, Carter got into a similar spot playing the small ball five, and then he did so in that game uh, that I already mentioned against Indiana State at Terre Haute, but this was his longest uh, amount of playing time in that position in a game so far in in his career in this season. Obviously, he's a freshman. 11 points, two rebounds, two steals, one block, one assist. Uh, That's a lot to do in only 15 minutes of play, Nick, and... And when it comes to uh, uh, Noah Carter, Ben Jacobson made sure to mention how far he's come defensively. And so Noah Carter, I, I think there was an understanding his offense was going to be ready to go when he got on campus. Um, and it's not some – he's not one that we've had a, a close eye on this season, 
But obviously, there's been a lot going on there with him throughout this season, even if he hasn't been playing a lot. Yeah, offensively, he can hold his own with anyone in their rotation. It's on the defensive end that is the reason he hasn't seen regular minutes, I think. And uh, when when you look at his 15 minutes uh, in, in the game against Evansville, to have two steals and a block, and, and that block was at a key moment there in the second half. They'd cut the lead back within 10. Uh, K.J. Riley was driving to the hoop, and he, he swatted that thing. Uh, had a pretty good reaction, too. And, and I think uh, from there, you and I really started to assert itself again. So you, you can tell that's something Noah's taken a lot of pride on is his defense and uh, the more he can offer on the defensive end of the court I think the, the more we're going to see Noah Cor- Carter on the court. Is it is it cliche Nick do you think to say someone plays bigger than their size or do you think that that's a fair like assessment of a of a player in a sport? Like how do you play bigger than your size? I know right but yeah, like yeah. you've heard that before like he, uh, he plays bigger you know usually it's in reference to a guard right? To a, to a little guy? Yeah to like a 5'10 guard it's like yeah. oh man he plays like he's 6'5 you know he's uh-huh. not scared of anybody. Well Noah Carter last night at one point he's on the block and yeah. he goes between two upperclassmen who oh they're and, bigger yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. were bigger than him and that's not the first instance we've seen that this season with Carter being successful on the block uh, earlier in the season was when he was playing the four a little bit, uh, but that's kind of where I'm getting at. Like mm-hmm. this, if you want to call it a cliche or whatever, um, usually it's applied to guards. But Noah Carter, he can he plays at times like he's more six eight six nine than he is. Six six. Yeah, well, if he's six eight or six nine, he wouldn't have been looking up at those two guys uh, standing around him in, in the paint. But yeah, he makes he yeah. makes. You feel like he's yeah. bigger than he is. Oh yeah, he, I mean he, he's not afraid. He, he you know he's got those two t- uh, trees that he's standing in between in the forest. Just goes up there and and got that three point play. That was that was a, a pretty big uh, a play too as well. I think that was at the end of there. They hit him with like a what an eighteen six run. And that was at the end of that. That that really gave him some separation. Yeah, I think half. it ended up. Um, in this, are you talking about the first half first run? Half, yeah, yeah, eighteen yeah. six. Yep. Um, one thing else I wanted to make sure that we brought up about this game was how neither team really played poorly. Evansville's defense was was bad. Um, there's no doubt about that. But um, when it comes to Evansville in, in that game last night, they, they, they shoot like 42%. They have 14 assists to 10 turnovers. Those aren't bad numbers. But you and I, you and I shoots what just shy of sixty three percent. Yeah, this is our highest percentage of the year. They, I thought they shot it well against Luther, a Division three school. They finished that game sixty percent. So to shoot sixty two percent in a conference game uh, at this point in the season is pretty amazing. Yeah, thirty two of fifty one from the field, and coming off a couple games where the offense, you know, was a little leaky, where it wasn't, you know, its best. And certainly, I think a big part of the reason for the efficiency being so good Wednesday night was Trey Burhow. He got back on track after a couple really tough games yeah. uh, where he had scored a total of three points in his last two games. Trey Burhow had a uh, what I thought was a really good overall floor game, scoring 16 points on 7-for-11 shooting. If I'm not mistaken, uh, Trey was 2-of-4 from the three-point line uh, in that game against Evansville. Uh, seven rebounds and... This team, it's it's obvious that when he's not going like usual, it just it, it puts a little bit of extra pressure on Austin Fife and Isaiah Brown, and they've answered the bell a lot. But you know, life is much easier when Trey Burhow is going like he was Wednesday night. 
Yeah, and you look at you and I and what they did in non-conference play, Trey Burhow was a really big part of a lot of those wins, and he was shooting, what, about 50% from three-point range in conference play. And and he's had some ups and downs here this year. But but when you've got Trey clicking, uh, A.J. was clicking, 8 of 13. He he had a quiet 21 points because he he got there on 13 shots. That's pretty impressive. And then, uh, you know, Spencer, 3 of 5. You know, when when all three of those guys are above 50% shooting, I don't think anyone's going to beat you and I. Any final thoughts on that Evansville game, Nick? Uh, no, I, I think they did what they needed to do. They went out there, won the game by 20 points, uh, generated some excitement for the final time in the McLeod Center, and uh, I, I think you know they're playing some high-quality basketball, and they're, and they're going to need, need to play high-caliber basketball for their next game as they close things out on Saturday at Drake. So looking back, or to circle back to Noah Carter and him playing the small ball five, uh, we continue to see Justin Dahl kind of struggle uh, to get anything beyond about, what, five, six minutes in a game. And there's really, you know, in in few cases, there's been more than seven, about seven minutes, as you uh, pointed out, Nick, available to that backup five spot, you know, b- uh, behind Austin Fife. Um, and I'm sure there's people that after that game, Wednesday night fans that are like, man, it sure be nice to see some more of Noah Carter. But easier said than done, Nick. And uh, you know, when, when I think about this situation, um, you know, Ben Jacobson said after that game Wednesday night, I was like, you know, last time Noah Carter played the five, you mentioned afterwards that he hadn't practiced there at all. Has that changed? And Ben Jacobson was like, no, like he hasn't been practicing there still. It was said that he does it a little bit in some scrimmages that happen with, um, with the reserves and the scout team the days after games. Um, but when you really kind of back up and, and look at the situation in its entirety, the Missouri Valley just happens to have more size in it right now than I think it did uh, two and three and four years ago. So maybe in a situation two, three, four years ago, Noah Carter gets more time at a small ball five like a Clint Carlson did uh, that many years ago. But right now, it seems like so many Valley teams not only have a starting five that's got good size, six, nine and above, they've got a backup five coming off the bench too that's got good size as well. And I think that's ultimately what really ends up holding Noah Carter back from maybe carving out some more minutes for himself. Yeah, you, you look at it, if he's, he's really the perfect fit against the five-guard lineup because, he, because of his skill set. I think that Clint Carlson uh, comparison really fits Noah perfectly, uh, same type of player. And, and when you look at UNI's offense, when you have a five that can shoot the three, that's actually almost a better fit offensively for, for what they're trying to do too. So you, you really are in an ideal situation on offense. It's just the defense, and, and you can't match up a, a, against a, a, you know, a seven-footer coming in off the bench or a 6'10 guy or, or a big bruiser. So... Yeah, that's where that's where you need Justin Dahl, and and really where Justin Dahl's contributions have been the last uh, what eight games have been on the defensive end. He's only got four points over his last six games, so he really hasn't been giving them much on offense as far as uh, point production. And that being said, Austin Fife's been tremendous, been a high. He's playing at a high level, so there aren't a lot of minutes to be to be had there at the five position either. When it comes to you and I's fives shooting threes, Nick. I have a on you and I podcast exclusive to divulge right now. All right, let's go. Let's hear it. So for a story, that we need uh, we need sound effects for this stuff. Cole. What, <laughs> we'll what, work what, on what it. What kind okay? of budget are we on here? I know we have a small staff. All right. Uh, so for a story that I'm working on, uh, I recently had a conversation with Austin Fife, and at a certain point, after you know, you kind of ask the the questions that they know you that you need to ask to tell the story that you're trying to tell. At a certain point, you know, you can kind of tell that maybe their guard comes down a little bit 
and maybe you can kind of throw in a question that may or may not make its way into the story. And so I asked Austin Fife at one point in our conversation, I said, hey, are you going to start shooting threes again at some point, maybe next season? And he didn't even hesitate. He's like, oh, yeah. And so Austin Fife, I mean, I don't know if there's any specific workout plans uh, that might happen over the summer, but without any hesitation, he told me that he plans on shooting the three ball next year. Well, he's getting about five feet of space when he has the ball at the top of the, the perimeter now. What if he just started launching them in, in the MVC tournament? What if this is a, a hidden Maybe hidden weapon? We're, 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 they're we're, playing we're, the long game, man. Yeah. Holy cow. Talk about a long game play right there. That would be. Um, but then again, that makes me think of Jordan Eagleseater back in 2010. What did he hit? Three threes and that win over Kansas in the Sweet 16 game. I can't remember what I had for dinner last night. You're, you're asking me about 2010 games? Come on. Cole. I know our listeners could remember that one, uh, but I, that box score is not burning to my brains. Um, okay, Nick, I had seen a graphic, I want to say, in watching the replay of you and I's win this past Sunday against Southern Illinois okay. that had like all the possibilities for seedings from the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. Uh-huh. Obviously, that's settled down a little bit at this point, um, but go ahead with what the scenarios could be for you and I down at Arch Madness because there are some possibilities that make the road a lot tougher than you think it would be uh, for the Panthers. Well, w- with you and I, the, the easy part is we know what seed they're going to be. They're going to be the one seed. They've already secured that with their win against Evansville. So now you, you look at the Panthers, they'll open with the winner of the 8-9 game. So if you and I beats uh, Drake on Saturday, then Drake will be playing in the 8-9 game against Illinois State. So really, Drake could run it back and play them again on Friday in St. Louis. So you'd have to play Drake back-to-back. The good news for you and I in that situation would be Drake would be playing uh, a Thursday night game and then turning around and playing the first game at noon on Friday. So they'd be coming off a game against Illinois State. All their focus, I'm sure, would be on Illinois State and winning that game. Very short turnaround, but still they'll have you and I fresh in their mind and and know what happened here on on Saturday. Yeah, that would help them out a little bit because you just would have game prepped for you and I. So that would mitigate a little bit of that short turnaround. Obviously at that point, though, your fatigue, I think, would be the the biggest factor when it comes to a, a turnaround there. And uh, how do you think, uh, Nick, or what do you think, Nick, would be best case scenario then for you and I? Best case scenario, I think, is to play Illinois State. You when you want the Redbirds to win that game. Uh, I know, obviously, Illinois State clipped them on New Year's Eve. Uh, you and I has yet to yet to lose to Drake, but I, I thought Drake played them really tough in Cedar Falls. We'll get to Drake later, but I think you and I matches up better against Illinois State. And then where it gets real interesting is the semifinal round, if you and I is able to reach that. Yeah. Because you've got four teams that are all in the mix to be playing in this 4-5 game. You could have Bradley, you could have Indiana State, you could have Valpo, who has suddenly played themselves out at Thursday. Or you could have Southern Illinois, who was uh, right there with you and I in, in the mix for a conference title going right. into, into that game on Sunday. Yeah, and hearing you mention those teams, you know, as much as I've been a champion of Southern Illinois this year, I do worry a little bit about a team that's that young uh, in a venue, a, a big-time venue down there in St. Louis, uh, the Enterprise Center. That's what it is now, right? Because it used to be oh, Scott yeah, Trade, Enterprise. now it's, it's Enterprise. It's the Rental Center now. Yeah, yep, yep. yeah, so... Uh, you know, I, I I've covered enough of uh, uh, covered enough Missouri Valley Conference tournaments that sometimes it does seem like you know you add that upper deck in the arena and teams just aren't don't quite look like they look 
you know, on a, on a typical night, whether it's a, a road venue in the Valley or their home venue in the Valley. So I, I, I'm not so confident that Southern Illinois would maybe be as big of a challenge um, down at Arch Madness as they have been, you know, in league play. When it comes to Valpo, everything hinges on Javon Freeman Liberty and his, um, he has mono. Yes. And as someone who's had mono, I just, you don't just come back from that in, in your first game, like you're just, you're in it. Like, you know, you're, you're feeling good. I mean, it takes a while to really get your legs back and get a lot of your cardiovascular back. I mean, that was my experience with it. And I had it when I was, you know, much younger and, you know, still in, in a lot better shape than I am now. So I've almost kind of crossed Valpo off the list as a contender. Bradley, Loyola, I mean, I think it's between those two and you and I. And, you know, you I think you mentioned already two overtime games for you and I against Loyola this year. Yep. Uh, Childs is back for, for Bradley. Bradley. Yep. Wasn't wasn't playing in either of. Uh, uh, he played, played in the, in the first game. He actually play, got injured in the first game in Cedar Falls. Re-injured the, the hand in the game yep, in Cedar Falls. And then Falls. he didn't play in Peoria. Right, so... Uh, Bradley, obviously, much tougher with Elijah Childs in the lineup. Um, I think a big factor for Bradley will be can Daryl Brown kind of recapture, you know, what he was last year at Arch Madness because he's had a down year. We've mm-hmm. talked about it on the podcast. The field goal percentage down. I still think it's mid to high thirties. Yeah, he, he hasn't really been a scoring threat just because he's been so efficient this but season. But he's he's done it before in uh-huh. St. Louis. And you I know? like Kennel, that they're they're three point shooter. I Kennel. Yeah, yeah, really like him. He's good. He's got a quick trigger. Um, so I mean, do you do you entertain the idea that anybody besides you and I, Loyola and Bradley, could have a realistic shot to win? Oh, let's see. Gosh. You know, you know the team that really has been kind of catching a little bit of a spark is Missouri State. We, when we saw Missouri State the first two times, you and I absolutely blew them out. But remember last year's Northern Iowa basketball team, they were fighting to get out of Thursday. Yeah. They snuck in as a sixth seed, and they got all the way to the championship game and had a chance to darn well win that thing. Could Missouri State be like last year's you and I team where they finally, you know, put all the pieces together, start clicking, and get on a run? When you look at just long shots with some talent upside, that would be the one I'd, I'd take out of the top three, actually. If if they get a good draw, you know, if they're if the bracket lines up well for them, and I, I'm not sure what that means exactly, you know, what, what would be the potential best matchups for Missouri State? I could maybe, I could maybe get on board with that just a little bit. I mean, and you make a great case there comparing them to you and I last year. Boy, I hadn't even considered that before. Just hearing that. That's my is that is that like that's a long shot. Is that a hot take? No, that's that's a really that's, is that that's a hot a, take? That's a really hot take because they're probably going to be playing on Thursday, and no one from Thursday has ever made it to, that's pretty, to I, Sunday. I think you might get a call from a four-letter network trying to hire you. That was a good hot take. <laughs> and I'm I'm actually maybe higher on your Southern Illinois Salukis than you are at this point in the season, but I, I think they they still might have some run left in them. Yeah, I've talked to a couple people that know the league really well um, over the past couple weeks about Southern Illinois. And nobody talks, you know, nobody talks bad about Southern Illinois. They love Coach Mullins, um, but it just comes down to that the lack of experience with that team, um, and w- especially so when it comes to, you know, they they haven't proven that they can go to St. Louis and yeah. and win games. Well, and Indiana State's the team I can't figure out. They look good no. against you and I in Terre Haute, and then they almost got beat by Evansville. They got beat by Valpo, right, without Freeman Liberty. Yeah. Yeah. So, and they've got an experienced veteran backcourt. Uh, you know, you've got Key and Barnes there. Those guys are excellent. Christian Williams is a great defender. They're young guys in the front court. LaRavia gave you and I fits in that game. I mean, I, 
I think there's enough pieces there with Indiana State, but yeah. are they going to be consistent enough to win three games? That's the key word because when you take that backcourt of Barnes, uh, Key, and Williams, and I don't care if you want to add Cooper Neese in there as kind of like the 3B yeah, guy. he's had kind of an off year, but he was great last year. Yeah, and, and you compare them to, say, you and I's four guards. I mean, obviously they're giving up a little bit in the talent department, but they're good, experienced players. But when you just there's good sample sizes for both of these four players that I'm talking about. Indiana State's have proven they're just not as consistent. Um, so while they've shown an ability to to run with with anybody in the league, um, they just haven't proven that uh, they they haven't done enough to really gain confidence. Especially the way that we're talking about them right now, it's obvious they haven't done enough to really make you feel confident about them. You just go, it could happen. You know, they've got enough. Uh, it seems like, but is he, I mean, like, I'm not going to lay down any money on him. I, I don't think you would lay down any money on him, right? No, no. And I think I, I think we're speaking for a lot of people who listen right now, where they go, yeah, Indiana State's won some games. They beat you and I in Terre Haute. I'm not going to put any money on him to win. Maybe we'll come to eat crow on this one, but yeah. I've talked my I talked myself out of Indiana State already. Yeah. Well, and you look at last year, Indiana State absolutely blew you and I out going into the conference tournament. You and I recovered. Indiana State was one and done, I believe. So, um, and and I just think the tough you could have a really tough road for you and I. Drake would be a tough quarterfinal match. If you had if you ran into Bradley in the semis, that's going to be a tough game. Yeah. You could have to you could run into Bradley in the semis and Loyola in the championship game. Yeah, those, so those would be two really tough games. Drake, Bradley, Loyola. That's about it. How does a one seed have to deal with that? That yeah. doesn't. I, even... I don't. I haven't done. I, I mean, I, I know the teams that could be in each spot in, in each seed, but I'm not sure if Drake, both Drake, could be the eight seed and and Bradley could be the four. That's, I'm not sure yeah, on the scenarios okay. on that, but but I, th- I I know there is a scenario where where Bradley could be playing in the four or five game, and uh, and there's definitely multiple scenarios where you'd have Drake Man. as the eight seed. Okay, let's talk about this game coming up Saturday in Des Moines. At the Knapp Center, it's a 5 o'clock tip on ESPN2. Another game uh, for the Missouri Valley and the UNI Panthers to play on national TV. That's uh, I think that adds to the importance, Nick. We can talk about that in a little bit. But UNI, as I mentioned earlier, 24-5, and 13-4 overall. They're at Drake, who is uh, Drake's 18-12, and 8-9 and in conference play. Um, UNI defeated Drake 83-73 in their first go-around at McLeod Center. That was back on February 8th. That was a Saturday. A uh, really entertaining game, up-and-down game that Drake was in for quite some time. Um, I think only at the very last instant did that become a double-digit win uh, for the Panthers. Uh, another thing that's important to point out here before we kind of dig into this conversation for this game um, is that Drake is uh, kind of like the poster child for – how difficult it's been for Missouri Valley teams to win on the road, and how some of these, especially um, you know, not not team, not the teams that are in the cellar, cellar of the valley. Anybody above the cellar of the valley has done obviously that much better at home because nobody seems to be winning on the road except you and I just a little bit. Drake fourteen and one at home. We need a record uh, stat uh, sound effect for this, too, Cole, if you can work that in on production. Yeah, I, I'm already uh, drafting an email to our uh, crack staff to hopefully have this prepared for next week's podcast. So we'll uh, we'll hope and pray that so, something comes of this. But, but let's get to these Drake numbers because they are fascinating. Yeah, 14-1 at home, 2-10 and 10 on the road, 2-1 and 1 on a neutral floor. Um, that's about as, you know, 
crazy as it gets when it comes to a home road split, Nick. Yeah, and you're looking at, uh, I've seen the Nap Center is going to be sold out for Saturday's game. It's going to be high energy. They have a lot yeah. to play for trying to uh, position themselves in a, in a decent seed there for the MVC tournament. Obviously, uh, you've got the rivalry with you and I and a chance to you know, prevent them from winning the conference championship outright. I, I think this is going to be a really fun game. Yeah, and um, the Liam Robbins-Austin Fife matchup is certainly the place to start in my mind's eye. Um, I know you had it down uh, is something to mention as well. And when I think back to that first game, Austin Fife had a tough go of it. He had eight points, and I'm pretty sure he was like he was four four from the field. I, I want to say in that game, uh, three of five. He was three of five. five from the field with eight. The points. one thing that stood out with with Fife's line from that game: one assist, five turnovers. Exactly, yep. and that's very unlike Austin Fife. He didn't look like himself at all in that game. And when he's in that position, he is in UNI's offense, where he's essentially the point guard. You know, he's a he's a point center in the offense. It really makes life difficult when that guy has a uh, assist-to-turnover ratio that's 1-5. to five. So uh, I thought Liam Robbins' size bothered Fife. Fife might be 6'9". He's listed at 6'9". Liam Robbins is 7' tall. He's a full 7-footer. He's taller yeah. than Dahl. Dahl's listed at 7' foot. I think he's Robbins is about an inch or two taller than him. Yeah, we noticed that. Uh, we were sitting next to one another on, uh, on the at the press table for that game, and it was clear, you know, that Liam Robbins was taller than Justin Dahl. So, you know, you're thinking to yourself, okay, Justin Dahl's probably six ten and a half, something like that. Liam Robbins seven foot, and the wingspan is, you know, as 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 long as he is tall. And I, I thought that bothered Austin Fife a little bit. I, I'm interested to see if uh, perhaps Ben Jacobson and his staff have some wrinkles for this game because of how difficult Robbins seemed to make it on on Fife last time yeah Robbins by far most improved player in the Missouri Valley Conference he's really transformed his game and he's averaging three block shots a game so he's the ultimate rim protector uh inside he, he really helps him on defense then he uh he has some versatility on offense too he can he can hit a jump shot when he needs to uh yeah so he it, hit a three in that yeah. game against you and I uh, also, I think he didn't a, hit a three against you and I, but he had hit three threes in games going into it. Yep. He must add a foot on the line then. On he, one of he, those. Had a, he had a long two pointer. Yep. Okay. I want to say, I remember a three in that game. I gotta, let me look. He was over two. Jeez. Well, I guess I have to go back and see how close he was to shooting a three in that game. I thought I, he had I, a three. I even had you in charge yeah. of the numbers today, Cole. Yeah, I know. Well, see what happens. Uh, I know these numbers from the first time these two teams played AJ green scored 34 points. Uh, he was magnificent in that game, and there's no doubt that if A.J. wouldn't have shouldered that load, uh, I probably loses that game. So that's how thin the margin is, it seems like, between these two opponents, despite the fact, Nick, that we were just talking about how Drake's likely to be a Thursday team. Uh, but we also talked about how A.J. had a quiet, if that's possible, 21 points in the win over Evansville. Uh, he struggled on the road at Indiana State. He struggled on the road at Loyola. Um, February hasn't been as kind to A.J. Green as January was. Uh, that I think that's safe to say. Um, where are you at on uh, how you think A.J. Green might run into a bit of a buzzsaw Saturday in a hostile environment, or do you anticipate he'll uh, be able to get maybe not 34 points, but a similar level of success on Saturday. I think uh, Drake's probably going to, you know, really try to get the ball out of AJ's hands with some traps and, and make other people beat him. So it'll just be a, a matter of, you know, countering that. But 
Uh, Green, it looked like against Evansville, really made some good adjustments getting inside and scoring. Uh, I think that's where you've seen the evolution in his game yeah. is being able to score at three levels. And I, I really liked what A.J. was doing around the basket uh, against Evansville. He wasn't completely uh, three-point dependent on his, his scoring line there. Um, so, you know, I, I just think, you know, EAJ's too good of a player to count him down for a long stretch, and I, I think he'll be fine long term. Uh, the, the other guy I think who's, who's going to be interesting to watch is Roman Penn, uh, Drake's point guard. He's Look at his assist turnover numbers this season are incredible. They're great. He's got 171 assists and 71 turnovers. So he's got 100 more assists than he does turnovers on the season. Um, and, and against you and I, he had eight assists and one turnover. And and you and I has really struggled against point guards that can get to the basket. We, right. we struggled this. The, the Panthers have struggled to stay in front of guys that are good off the dribble. So if Roman Penn's able to break down you and I's defense, that allows Robbins to go to work inside, and and uh, I think Drake will be rolling. So I, I think he's another key to the game is is how you and I defends him. No doubt about it. Any final thoughts, Nick, uh, before we wrap up episode forty nine of the podcast? What are your thoughts on on cutting down the nets? We we didn't get into that. Yeah. Um. So. I thought that they would do it. That was my assumption that I made that was obviously wrong. We're talking about you and I uh, clinching a share of the, the conference championship at home, uh, home finale against Evansville. Uh, they uh, Coach Ben Jacobson elected not to cut down the nets because they didn't win the championship outright. He said if they won the title outright, they would have cut them down. But since there's uh, still some work to be done Saturday, uh, decided not to do it. They, they haven't won, whether it be a share or by themselves, a conference title in a decade. It was mm-hmm. 2010. And I was just of the thought that, man, that's an accomplishment, whether you share it or, or whether you don't um, celebrate your accomplishments because uh, we obviously hear all the time about all the hard work that this team puts in, uh, not only its, its players but its coaches. Um, and I just was of the thought that they would celebrate the accomplishment, cut down the nets, and give the fans that wanted to stick around for that that moment. Uh, that is a special moment in a season. It's a memorable moment. It's a memory to be made. Um, is is Drake going to let you and I cut the nets down no, no, if they win Saturday? Exactly. So um, I, I thought it was a pass on a potential memory. Um, that's just where I stand on it. I'm not um, going to go get the uh, pitchfork and the torch, mm-hmm. you know, and – um, go crazy about it, but those are my. That's that's where I stand on it. Yeah, I can kind of see both sides of it. You know, there there is something different to, to winning a championship outright, and you don't want to cut down the nets. Uh, you know, and then go down to Drake and lose lose that game after cutting down the nets. That just doesn't quite have the the, the same feel to it. You know what I'm saying? It would feel different for sure. So, but but that being said, the senior class, when you look at that group, you know, they, they came in after you and I's last NCAA tournament season. And they've endured three consecutive years where you and I hasn't finished with a winning record. Right. So you look at going from that to what they've done this year to put themselves in position to win yeah. a share of the conference championship. You clinch the one seed for Arch Madness. Uh, it's their final, their final home game on the McLeod Center court, unless they're hosting an NIT game. I I, I think you'd really did miss out on on maybe some memories for for those seniors to, yeah. to be up on that ladder and and have a chance to cut it down. It's just how how much do you value the winning a conference title outright? versus yeah. it being a shared title. Exactly, because I think of someone like an Isaiah Brown or a Spencer Haldeman, and, you know, when they're 65 years old and gray and they, you know, they turn on their iPad 29, you know, there's not going to be a video there that, you know, mom took or dad took from their cell phone back in the day of them up on the ladder cutting the net down. 
And so that's 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 why I feel the way I feel. For I, I think I'm kind of maybe approaching this more from the human side of things than the pragmatic basketball coach side of things, which makes me understand, you know, the other side of the coin here, which makes me not be like over the top upset about it all. Um, yeah, but just another, uh, another topic to, uh, dig in on and have a take on. I don't know. I don't think we're as as hot as this is definitely not as hot as your Missouri state take though. No. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, anybody, uh, listening, uh, if you think Nick is crazy or maybe you agree with them, you've been following the bears lately. Uh, I, I give out the Twitter accounts uh, every show, so if you have any reaction oh, to Nick's hot take on Missouri State, by all means, uh, I will gladly read his mentions in the days that lead up. Uh, I'm just to saying, Arch outside Madness. of the top three, I'm taking the long odds on somebody like Missouri State. You're yeah, getting good game. That's your value. Your yeah, that's yeah, a good value, a value play. Pick. Good, good, good stuff on a value play. All right, uh, enjoyed it as always, Nick, and uh, we'll see you in Des Moines on Saturday, and uh, look forward to uh, taping a pod next week before Arch Madness. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Cole. Thanks for listening to episode 49 of the On You and I podcast presented by the Gazette. Remember, you can direct message questions or comments to my Twitter at Real Bear. Nick's on Twitter at Nick at Courier. Stay up to date of his coverage of you and I hoops at WCFCourier.com. Follow along with my coverage at thegazette.com. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.